You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 165. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. All right, all right. Last couple episodes, we have discussed the CPRS program. We have discussed the 10 guiding principles to enhance and enrich your recovery that SAMHSA talks about. Um, Loved sharing that with you. And so what we're going to do today, moving uh, forward over the next couple episodes, we're just going to bring out some excerpts from my CPRS training. And ethically, I can't just teach you from this manual word for word. There are rules, and I do not want to violate them um, at all, let alone this early in the game. But I am going to paraphrase, and I'm going to pull some excerpts out of the manual now because there's amazing conversation topics that are happening um, within this manual and that we and that instigated amazing conversations uh, within the training. And so it's just superb. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And so what we're going to cover today is stigma. Because there's a lot of social media posts, Instagram, TikTok, talking about the stigma of being someone in, who's an addict, being someone in addiction recovery. Next week, we're going to cover, we're going to discuss uh, recovery language. You know, some words and some phrases that are worn out that we could start to begin to shift. And it's all about the way that we say the word, that we say the world. We talk about a lot of the ways that we see the world. But the words we use, they create this this sound vibration from ourselves that actually says to other people, this is how I am experiencing the world. So the words you use absolutely are beginning to, and not beginning, but have been and will continue to begin. It's all of it. It's beginning to, it's continuing to, it's it's, it's a forever compilation of your experiences being verbalized and vocalized outwardly so that other people can begin to understand how it is you're experiencing the world. And for, and then to take all that into account, we talked about how um, people communicate using kinesthetic words like touch, feel, emotional kind of words. Let's get a grasp. Let's sit down. Let's stand strong. Those are kinesthetic phrases. We talk about how people communicate visually. I see that. It's clear to me. Let's look over here. Those are visual words. And we talk about how people communicate auditorily. I hear you. Listen up. Let's discuss this. Let me ask you a question. Those are auditory phrases. That's how you know when people are communicating using one of your five senses. You know, it could be like, hey, let's get a taste of this. Mm, that was super bitter, right? That's that's more of the gustatory, the taste sense. Um, that, you know, that smell, that, that smells horrible. Well, you know what? They, 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 they stunk it out on the field today. That's more of an olfactory, the smelling sense. So we communicate using our five senses. The one that when you take in information, that ends up and then it's filtered and it becomes this internal representation, this picture you have in your mind of something. If I say uh, dog, if I say car, if I say football, you all have a picture of what that is in your head. And that is very individualized and unique to your own brain. When we take in information and then we create these pictures in my mind, they're utilized, they're utilizing your five senses of touch, taste, sight, sound, and smell. The sixth thing, 
that your mind utilizes in order to understand the, what the world is externally, but internally in, it, in your mind, is called auditory digital. An auditory digital is the words you say to yourself, how you talk to yourself. And this is extremely important because there's nobody else who talks to you as much as you talk to you. We have a running commentary going on in our head damn near all the time. Maybe some Buddhist monk at the top of a mountain who's been silent for 20 years has shut that voice up. But for 99.9% of the population, that voice in our head never stops talking to us. It is, it is a running commentary on the world around us. Michael Singer talks about this in the, um, in the book, uh, The Untethered Soul, about how it's this roommate who never shuts up. Now, why did I go through all of that in an episode of Stigma? Because how you talk to yourself is going to give you indications on how you are stigmatizing yourself. Yes, most of the stigmatizing messaging comes from the news and the media, right? It talks about, you know, mental illness and substance use disorder, you know, and how it's portrayed, uh, you know, through crimes, um, through people acting manically, being put in hospitals, uh, being, you know, oh, we need to put them and outcast them and ostracize them from the tribe because they've got this mental illness. They've got this addiction. It breaks outside of the societal norms. Therefore, that person needs to be ostracized. We need to keep them as far away from the rest of the apples so they don't, so they don't spoil the bunch. Well, that doesn't work. And we've talked about this not only on college success habits, but we've talked about this here on From Sobriety to Recovery as well. When you push somebody to the fringes, all that's going to do is it's going to cause them to either fester up with more hatred and anger and animosity because they don't feel like they're part of the tribe. And eventually they'll just start to find other people who've also been ostracized. And then they'll just form their own group, their own cult, their own something. And before you know it, they have grown so big and they've been in the shadows doing this that as soon as they come out of the shadows, they can become a major societal disruptor. And they are seeing that happening time in and time out, especially in our society where people are being ostracized for Twitter and Instagram and Facebook posts. Next thing you know, they're still they're, they're meeting on 4chan or on the dark web and they're doing nefarious things because that's where we've pushed them. So when we stigmatize people's behaviors and we ostracize them from the tribe, we push them to the fringes and they will find other people out there who feel and see and talk about the world similarly. And you get enough of those people together and they can literally bring society to its knees. So, or, or we could relinquish the idea of stigmatizing and we could start to embrace people with other values, other people's beliefs and opinions, even if they're radical even if they're so out there and back that we're like, there's no way we should listen to what this person has to say. But they have experienced things that have caused them to create this value ladder in their head. And, we, and, it's, and to me, to me, I would rather communicate with that person and understand why they've created that value ladder, what experiences have happened in their life that have, that have instigated this hierarchy of values in their world. I do not understand um, Nazis. I don't. Under, I, I would never be one. But certainly, there are so many, and there have been over time, that something is happening. Something is going on in their existence that's causing them to go down that path. 
I do not agree with what Hitler did in World War II. I don't think most of us could agree with that. But something inflamed him and his followers so much that they did what they did. I really want to understand the psychology of that. I want to bring them into the conversation, not ostracize them. I'm not worried that their words are going to somehow weasel into my brain and infiltrate, and I'm just magically going to wake up one day being like, hmm, I think I want to be a Nazi today. No. And we've talked about this. Just because you listen to somebody's opinion, beliefs, or values doesn't mean you condone it. It absolutely doesn't mean that you're just going to be like, I am zombie, I am zombie, I will follow anyone who says something with enough power and grace in their words. No, no. We're strong, we're powerful, we're independent, we understand we can make our own decisions. I'm not worried about somebody's quote-unquote toxic words somehow infiltrating my brain and shifting me. And you shouldn't be either. But I can't tell you that. I can't make you understand that. You have to experience it by listening to other people with differing values and then just asking questions and trying to figure out why. What happened in their life that led them down this path? Because it may not make sense to you, but it doesn't need to make sense to you. It's in the understanding of them, the releasing of the judging of right and wrong. We begin to be able to tap into that true human spirit of just realizing that we're all unique. And okay, you feel that way, and I find it appalling, or I find it detrimental to society. But I would rather invite you in and have conversations with you and have you feel included in what I'm doing over here. Because if you feel included in what I'm doing over here, you might just decide to change your own mind. But if I ostracize you and cause you to feel left out and, 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 and I beat you down and I tear you apart and I, and I push you to the fringes of society where you have no, where according to you, you have no choice but to hide on the dark web, then you're just going to find other people out there who also feel the way you feel. And eventually, there'll be enough of y'all that your voices will be extremely loud. Or, 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 we could have invited you to sit at our table all along and we could just begin to unify and figure out what is going on. And when we stigmatize, we, we, we build a wall. We cut people off from the ability to connect with us, regardless of how atrocious we might think their words or their actions are. If we ostracize them, it's only going to further inflame them. We want to bring everybody to the table. Let's have this conversation. It's a negotiation. We all live on this planet. Not everybody, nobody gets their way 100% of the time. That's ludicrous. And if they do, there's going to be people who feel like they're being taken advantage of, and eventually you get enough of those people together, and again, they bring society to its knees. So let's discuss some of the ways that you've been stigmatizing and labeling, and there's three primary ways that stigmatization shows up in our society. And first and foremost, it shows up with your own self-stigmas. Right? How are you internalizing your addiction recovery? How are you talking to yourself about your behaviors from your past? How are you internalizing your childhood? Oh, you know, I was just a bad kid. I was just a piece of crap. My parents should have beaten me more. I acted out all the time. No wonder I'm an addict. I totally deserve this. I was a loser. All that is stigmatizing language. If you want to ask yourself, Jesse, am I stigmatizing myself right now? Look at it this way. Experience it this way. Listen for these words. Are you labeling yourself? Are you judging yourself? Because if you find yourself using words that label, 
then labels tend to have some level of stigma. They're old. They're young. When I say old or young, you have a picture in your mind of what that is. You might think old people are senile and crazy and scream at squirrels. You might think young kids are um, you know, obstinate and don't listen and fight back all the time. We have these labels, these judgmental phrases that we use. Right? That's how you can start to notice if you're using stigmatizing language on yourself. He was a bad boy. Well, we all have, there's a stigma attached to a bad boy. If, t- if a teacher has a, a negative experience with a child and then goes into the teacher's lounge and tells everybody, little Jesse is a pain in my ass and he always acts out and he's always cracking jokes, those other teachers are going to hear that. That's stigmatizing language. It's labeling me as a bad boy, as a person who makes too many jokes and acts out. Then when I come in their classroom, they're already going to have a bias towards my behavior. So the moment I do anything, it's going to be run through the filter of the stigmatizing labels the other teacher had placed upon me in the teacher's lounge. So where are you placing labels? Where are you judging yourself? That's where you can start to notice if you're using languages that stigmatizes you, right? This perpetuation of all addicts are bad and all addicts are thieves and liars and cheats and and steals, while that might be a behavior that seems pretty consistent to those people who are strongly in their active addiction. That is not necessarily who we really are. It does not necessarily mean everybody did that. There's a presupposition in NLP that states that people are not their behaviors, right? Right. Accept the person and seek to help them change their behavior. I'm not a bad person. I may have done a bad thing, but I am not a bad person. You are not a bad person. You did bad things. And again, bad is subjective perspective. But you, could, you don't need to latch on to, well, that's who I was, so clearly that's who I'll always be. That is just not true. When people say things like, well, people don't change, those are generally the people who just aren't aware of their own changes. And yes, while our values might be something that we carry on throughout our life, our behaviors around those values absolutely can change. You just have to put active action participation and prioritization on the change. If you don't actively say, I don't want to yell and scream when my partner says something to me that triggers me, that activates me, that cues me off to go through an unconscious set of behaviors, right? They say, why did you do this? You shouldn't have done this. And immediately I feel cued off. I feel activated because I was yelled at as a child for doing things wrong when I didn't think I did anything wrong. Then I'm going into an unconscious pattern. I get cued off. I crave something. I crave to defend myself. So my so my my response is defense. My reward is I feel like I've defended myself. But it all but that's just going to cue off the other person who now they feel threatened. And it's going to start their own unconscious um, cue craving response reward mechanism. We talk about this from the Atomic Habits book. Well, your cue craving response reward mechanism worked works in so many areas. I mean, we're talking about you've got thousands of things you do every single day that are just hardwired in, that you have been doing so much you habituated them. So when we stigmatize people, when you stigmatize yourself for those behaviors, right, you're, you're painting yourself into a corner that says, that's who I am, right? But that's not who you have to always be. And when you use language that says, this is who I am, it, it latches onto your identity and then it becomes something that, you believe at your core, you just are. This is one of the reasons why when we discuss recovery language next week, I'm so adamant about not calling myself an addict. 
that I call myself somebody in addiction recovery. Because I'm that, that sentence, I am an addict, latches onto my identity. Now I'm an addict. Right? Now when I say to somebody I am an addict, they're gonna have this picture of what an addict is. And it's gonna paint me into a box. But you say to somebody I'm in addiction recovery, that that, that opens up a whole nother world of possibilities. And there's a stigmatization that's happening within ourselves first, that then's happening more on a public and institutional level. So look for ways that you're using words that judge and label you, especially in an undesirable light. Those are going to be ways that you're stigmatizing yourself. There's also public stigma, right? This encompasses those attitudes and those feelings uh, from the general public towards people living with a certain thing. Right, it could be you know, there could be a public stigma around people uh, living with cancer. There could be a public stigma around people living with an alcoholic parent. There could be a public stigma about people who buy pit bulls and are owners of pit bulls and Doberman pinchers. There can be a stigma around damn near anything that you do. If I say, uh, you know, I love to play video games. Oh yeah, and by the way, I live in my mom's. I live at my parents' house, and my room's in the basement. There's a stigma about people who live in their parents' basements and they're in their 30s playing video games. There's pretty much anything that people do can have a stigma attached to it if it goes outside the, the and I'm using air quotes here, societal norm of what people think is acceptable behavior. So when you start asking yourself, how is the public stigmatizing? addiction recovery, right? It's what are, what are the words they're saying? What are, how is it they're framing this addiction recovery, right? It, it, is, it has been confirmed by doctors and associations that addiction is a disease. Alcoholism is a disease and that it's a part of the mental illness infrastructure. So therefore, if, since it's a part of the mental illness world, it can become a part of the mental wellness world. And we live in a disease care society that would prefer to fix the problem once it's happened rather than healing it before it occurs. I started this College Success Habits show to be part of the solution, to be part of the mental wellness world, to help those in college seeking overwhelm and stress and anxiety. That Because I got into addiction in college, so I thought, well, what if I could help them never even get to this point? What if because they listen to the College Success Habits show, they don't ever have to listen to the From Sobriety to Recovery show? I wanted to be part of the mental wellness system, the, 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 the health care system, not the disease care system. But the public stigma is that you know people who are in addiction are losers, are weak-minded, um, you know, aren't strong, are you know uh, pr- privy to being um, or susceptible to being brainwashed by other organizations and can become you know zombies. I am zombie. I will listen to you no matter what you say, and it's not true. But the public can stigmatize. And here's what I want you to be really mindful about the way the public can stigmatize. When you're standing around with a group of people, and public could be three people, or public could be 3,000 people. But when you hear a group that you're involved in using labels um, and judging other people, that's them being stigmatizing in front of you. And as people in addiction recovery who have been stigmatized for the majority of our lives, or at least while we were in active addiction, it is up to us to understand that when we stigmatize others, it is, it, it is literally, I mean, would we want someone to do it to us? No. So then why would you go do it to somebody else? 
Why would you label and judge somebody else for their behaviors when that is something you have experienced? So if you're in a public forum and you hear people doing it, I get it. It can be tough in an AA meeting, in a 12-step meeting to say, I am in addiction recovery. I have heard a pin drop when I have said that. But I want to break the stigma. And do I think I'm going to change the 12-step program and everybody's going to start introducing themselves as somebody in addiction recovery? I know. I, I don't think me by myself will do it. But maybe somewhere down the line, other people will start saying it as well. And maybe one day I'll get ostracized from that group because I don't say that I'm an addict and I instead say I am in addiction recovery. Awesome. Please ostracize me. So then I know you weren't my people to begin with. I would rather know that you're not my people so I can go find my people than than spend my effort and my energy trying to to fit into an organization that doesn't, doesn't want to experience life in the way that I want to experience it. I would rather just go find my people and say, hey, what's up, Dharma? How y'all doing? This is great. Everybody's included here and, we're, and we use open-minded conversational techniques. Awesome. Let's do that. And again, I'm not saying that my 12-step meetings have, have ever done that. I'm not saying that they would. Most people just, they probably, it's, it's a pattern interrupt. They don't even know what to do with that because nobody else in that room has said it and there's 50 people there. It's just my way of framing myself. This is the words I want to use. I don't want to use stigmatizing language for myself, and I don't want to use it for somebody else. So when somebody else tells, talks to me about their addiction, I'm like, oh, you're in addiction recovery too, or you're in sobriety. Because I, I want to be the possibility of uplifting language patterns. So when you're in a group and the public is stigmatizing, they are labeling, they are judging people, that is your opportunity to say, hey, hey guys, maybe we could do it this way. And I could understand how you might be afraid of being ostracized from that group, how they then might turn to you and say, oh, now you're different. Oh, so you're one of them. Well, now then that means you're also all these words we just said they are. That can be tough. It can absolutely be tough because nobody wants to experience being kicked out of the tribe. But at some point, if we're going to make massive change in this world, we're going to have to be strong enough to say, okay, I just might have to feel uncomfortable for a little bit in order to help other people feel comfortable for a long time. It is to me, it is worth the sacrifice for my, for my little bit of, of uncomfortability, to have my ego bruised, to have people look at me sideways, so that other people might feel more involved and more included. So when you hear public forums ostracizing and, and stigmatizing people, it is your opportunity to step up and say, Perhaps there's another inclusive way we could have this conversation so that they don't feel ostracized. So we don't stigmatize them and kick them out of the tribe before we've even had a chance to get to know them. And lastly, institutions. Institutions are stigmatizing, and they have been since the dawn of, of institutions. Whether it's our university and education system, whether it's their religion, whether it's public policies and, and politics, institutions stigmatize right? These negative attitudes, these behaviors about mental illness, right? They're, they talk, they're talked about on this in, in the media and they're talked about in newspapers and stigma, you know, and I don't know if I said this at the beginning, so I'll, I'll say it now. There's a quote here in the thing that from the California strategic plan of reducing mental health stigma and discrimination, leave it to California to start up a program called strategic plan on reducing mental health stigma and discrimination and making the title seven words. But it says in here, stigma refers to attitudes and beliefs that lead people to reject, avoid, or fear those they perceive as being different. 
And I really feel like I should have opened up the show with that. But it's too late. (laughs) I'm not going to reshoot the episode. But are you rejecting? Are you avoiding? Are you fearing people for being different? Do you reject, avoid, and fear yourself for who you used to be? Do you, do you notice in public forums that you're involved in how people are rejecting, avoiding, and fearing people who are different than them? This happens because of sex and age and gender and race and sexual preferences that happens on so many different levels. And our institutions are doing it. And when institutions do it, when they reject, when they avoid, when they push fear to their constituents, to their members, they have a vast reach. One person on the corner yelling stigmatizing language patterns, right? Rejecting, avoiding, and fearing people. That's just one person. You might walk past them and go, that person's crazy. Again, crazy is a stigmatizing word, but it's one person. A public forum of three or 3,000, okay, yes, they can, they can create some level of a movement. But when you have an institution, the United States government, Catholicism, Christianity, Buddhism, well, I don't know, Buddhism would necessarily do it, but they might have a stigmatizing language in there. I've never studied it. Islam, um, uh, Judaism, right? When you have any of these, right, they have millions of members. So when they say something, when they pass down a doctrine, when they start to push their stigmatizing language, it reaches millions. And then those millions go out and they take it and they bring it into the public forum. And then the public forum breaks, it breaks into even smaller pieces. And now you have smaller and smaller groups until it's just you and your house stigmatizing yourself or others based on the doctrines of this institution. And when an institution stigmatizes, that reach can become so pervasive, it can literally just rot their entire organization or rot a country or rot the world from the inside out. When institutions stigmatize, to me, that is the worst because their reach is so powerful and their followers so avidly with them that it can be very, very difficult to break the, the language patterns that they have instilled in their members. Thousands of years, you've had some of these religions pushing certain stigmatizing language and behaviors and actions towards others. It is not easy to break that. So when institutions stigmatize, that is the worst. Because now they've been able to take a message that, whether it's true or not, whether there's any reality in it, whether, whether, whether it exists in people's lives or not, you can literally begin to judge and fear and reject and avoid people that you've never even met because this institution tells you to. And the policies and the doctrines and the rules that they pass down can stigmatize. They can paint other people, subsets of the population, into a corner. And then that ostracizes them. And that leaves them feeling alone and isolated. And when a human feels alone and isolated, just like an animal, alone and isolated, feeling like the world's coming around them and they're being attacked, they're going to lash out. They're going to do harm to themselves or others. When if we embraced them, when we, if we would have talked to somebody different than us, instead of fearing, rejecting, and avoiding them, we could have built a bridge. We could understand how their life experiences have brought them to this point. And since we all have listened to the Six Human Needs episode, we understand that all of us are seeking to fulfill those six human needs, those unconscious motivators. And we're all choosing to do it differently, but it's still those same unconscious motivators. Let me understand your 
how your unconscious motivators are directing your life. I will explain to you how my unconscious motivators are directing mine. And we'll realize that we're all seeking to fulfill certainty and variety and significance and love and connection and growth and contribution in just different ways. Now let's see if we can uh, create it in a way that brings a betterment to society. And can we even agree on what a betterment to society is? But if all we're doing is yelling and screaming at each other and letting these institutions dictate how we should be treating others, we are giving our seat of power to somebody else. And that is disempowering. Now there has to be a victim. Now the institution becomes the hero. I'm the victim and now this other these people who I should be rejecting, avoiding, and fearing based on my institutions giving me that doctrine. Now they're the enemy. Now they're the evil. Or we could be empowering. And we could see people who are different than us as someone who just challenges us to experience life differently, to understand people at a deeper level. We could see our institutions as coaches, who's somebody who gives us uh, ideas for how we could be living our life, but not necessarily dictating how we are going to live our life. And now you become the creator of your highest sense of self. You begin to achieve your fullest potential, and you do so in a way that's ecological. It's good for you, it's good for those that you love, and it's good for the world. There are plenty of ways for us to make money in this world, let's say, without pouring poison into our rivers and jacking our animals up full of, of poison. There are other ways to do that. But when an institution thinks it's more cost-effective to dump poison in rivers and, and poison our meat and poison our, our animals that we eat, right? And then that just becomes the way we think it should be done. Now it went from an institutional stigmatization and doctrine. Now it's down to public, and then it becomes our own personal belief system. How are your institutions that you believe in stigmatizing others? And do you want to continue to agree with that? Do you want to continue to reject, avoid, and fear people that you don't even know? Or maybe you've met a handful of them and you've had negative experiences, but that does not dictate everybody from that subset would be the same person. Everybody is different. And perhaps if we opened our arms and embraced rather than closed our arms and pushed away, we'd actually experience humans for who they are, unique and special and amazing creatures. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And I really do honestly believe that if we release the stigmas and we embrace those who are different than us and we open our minds to the possibilities that everybody is is amazing if they're given the right opportunity, then, 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 I think we might be able to climb up the next level of the human experience. All right, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to sunshine and glow on. See you next week. Bye-bye.